You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from my Midtown apartment as we continue the Break a Bat quarantine series. Can't thank you all enough for the continued support during these crazy times. Um, hopefully our show is providing even the slightest escape from everything going on out there. And we'll try to uh, you know, continue to do that and have some fun in the process. Uh, joining me in the batter's box tonight is one of the newer members of Break a Bats Ensemble. He's made a couple of appearances now on the show, both in episode one and episode 25. Say hello to Mr. Doug Horowitz. An absolute pleasure being here, my friend. I gotta say, it's always an honor, and especially with our guests coming on today, it's an even bigger privilege being on the show. So thank you. And uh, for many of you who have listened to the show for a while, most of you know that my wheelhouse of baseball is late 90s, early 2000s. That's when I fell in love with this game. Uh, so our very special guest tonight, who's very uh, nice enough to call in, uh, is a 14-year major leaguer, four-time gold glove winner, two-time Silver Slugger, and a three-time All-Star. His family was actually the first to send three generations of players to the All-Star game. Baseball's like, that's like, that's like our grand stage. That's our royalty. All our folks, yeah. Uh, his grandfather, Ray, his father, Bob, and his brother, Aaron, also had some wonderful major league careers. And uh, our guest tonight, of course, was one of the best second basemen in baseball of the late 90s and early 2000s. So if you'll please turn your attention to home plate, just be on the marquee, now batting, Brett Boone. What's up, Booney? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Hanging in, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A little, uh, you know, we're going through something a little different right now, <laughs> but we're kind of kind, kind of all in the same boat. You know, I got all my kids hunkered down and uh, spending a lot more time with them than, I, than I'd like. <laughs> I was wondering about that with four kids, right? How is that working out, staying indoors? You know, at first they were, well, I got two that are 15. I got one that, you know, got sent home from college. My daughter, uh, she's 23, so she's not with us all the time. She's got her own place. But, uh, you know, at first it was a little different. They, they were, you know, kind of, Dad, why can't I go play with my friends? It's stupid. It's, you know, and I, once we got past that initial 
this is the way it is and we're going to do what they're telling us to do and you know we want to try to get to the other side of this this thing we're going through in our once they got that uh they've actually been <laughs> pretty well behaved <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing families are going through crazy stuff right now between this quarantine. It's like ripping families apart or bringing them together. So I'm glad to hear you're coming together during this. Yeah, it's it's been kind of a cool, you know, for dad, for for you know, us geeky old dads, you know, they they probably don't appreciate it as much as I do. But you know, I, and my son is a is a junior in college, so he's home normally during this time of the year. We don't even get to see him, so I'm getting to spend some time with him and. uh you know, we're making the best of it. We do what we got to do. Hope, like I said, hopefully sooner than later, uh, we get to the other side of this and, uh, you know, get, get, get our country back up and running. Now, Brett, at the time we're recording this, it's supposed to be major league baseball's opening day. How much do you miss the game right now? Well, for me, you know, it was my whole life for so many years and now I'm just starting to get back in the game kind of on the media side of things. And we're starting to do some things this off season, uh, so so it's kind of like, wait a minute, I, w- I was just kind of re-entering the baseball world, and and I'm just more for me, it's just more surreal that nothing's going on. You know, uh, I, I'm used to at this time of the year going out to the to the East Coast a couple times to watch my son play. You know, he, he's a junior at Princeton this year. And I'm not going to those games, so I had to cancel my trips back there. Uh, you can't turn a game on and watch a spring training game, you know. Uh, MLB Network is playing playing games from the past because there's nothing to report on because nobody's going to work. Um, just a, kind of a surreal thing, you know, missing March Madness and and uh, the casinos closing down was was a real tell for me that that this was a big deal. Now, like everything else, baseball's on hold right now. If you were still playing, what would you be doing if you were getting ready for a season without a known start date? What? Okay, so you're saying put myself in the kids in the guy's shoes, the current players. Yeah. Well, I'm right at this point. Um, at this point, I, I'm I'm just keeping myself. I, I got to find a place to work out. I got to find a cage. Uh, you know, physically, I'm keeping myself in shape, so I got to have a gym. Um, so I'm just preparing. What's going to happen is when they decide, when the sports decide, especially baseball, you know, when they come to an agreement. Right now, they're they're sitting behind. Uh, they're doing negotiations with the union and with the with the players' association as far as how many games is going to be, when and if they come back. Um, I just know as a player, I'm keeping myself in shape as much as I can. I'm doing my daily maintenance as far as throwing, hitting when I can. Um, but I also know that when it comes back, uh, they're going to give me some time to prepare. So basically, I've been in spring training for, for three or four weeks. Once I get the go sign, they're going to give us at least two or three weeks to get ready for the season. Uh, because I think first and foremost, the pitchers are going to need that time. Pitchers always need a longer time than position players to get their arm built up to to uh, to begin a major league season. Completely agree. I I know I'm definitely going to have two or three weeks, but at me personally as a player, I, I'm going to train like uh, I've got to play in a game tomorrow, so I'm going to be ready whenever they call. So, Brett, I've got a question for you. Is this similar to the short striking year of 1994 and then 1995, which was delayed? Is that well, our personal experience, or is this just even more unprecedented? 
Yeah, I remember the '94 strike pretty vividly. You know, I was a, I was a, uh, I was a rep for for the Cincinnati Reds at the time, a union rep. So I was right there in the negotiations and in the back and forth. So I knew everything. I was pretty pretty well versed on what was going on uh, in our strike situation. Uh, but I knew the day that we walked out on strike, you know, I knew what was happening. I knew first and foremost we weren't getting paid, and hopefully we were going to get a deal done so we get to the postseason and. And uh, that particular year for me, it was 94. Uh, our Reds team was wire to wire in first place. So we were in a good position that year to go deep into the postseason. Uh, never in a, our wildest dreams did we think the World Series was going to be canceled that year. Um, but it was. And then we went into that offseason. And, and, and I just remember, I think, as a player, it was kind of a surreal place as a player. That it, it, it had never happened to me, for sure. That was only, you know, my third year in the big leagues. But well, I just, I just, I just trained that off season like uh, I was getting ready for spring training, and and I remember finally when we got the call that yeah the strike's over, you know go back to work, and uh, I was I, I was definitely prepared as as I think were most players at that time. Well, as a former player rep, I'm very interested in what you think about. I know major leaguers get a pro rated contract that's extremely lucrative but what about these minor league players and what do we do about playing time during this time off the service time you mean doug yes yeah, service time my apologies service time. okay that's the one thing in the strike that we negotiated for you know we went on strike and, and in the final negotiation we got all our service time uh credited to us i think the players in this this situation it's it's kind of an apples to oranges thing the only thing that's the commonality is there's no baseball being played, mm-hmm. but it was a choice of either side. The owners want to have the players out there. The players want to be out there. Uh, this is something bigger than us, bigger than our sport. This is something as a nation we're shutting down. So nobody wants this. Um, so I think what you're going to see negotiated out right now, they're sitting behind closed doors doing whatever they're doing. I think the f- players and I, and to this point, I'm, I'm still, I still don't know exactly what's going on. Like I said, when we walked out on strike, I knew right then and there, I'm choosing to strike. I'm not getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. These guys can choose, choose that. What about that guy? You know, you go from the top, the, the guy that just signed that $300 million contract down to that guy that's his first year in the minor leagues. Uh, who's getting paid? Who's not getting paid? I, you know, I, I don't know what that's like right now because, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. I'm going, okay, if Fox and ESPN and, and all the major networks that carry Major League Baseball, they have a big deal with these with with MLB. But now they don't have the advertising for the MLB, so they're not paying the owners. How can the owners pay the players? So to me, I, I don't know what's going to go on. I have no idea. Down to the minor leaguers who were in an even tougher situation. I saw today. I was just kind of scrolling through through some of the news. I saw an Adam Wainwright donated two hundred fifty thousand to the some minor league guys to get them through this time. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think they'll find a way to do it, but it's definitely a, a lot of what ifs right now, because it, I think it's just a, a situation that none of us have ever been in. Yeah. And, you know, Brett, you mentioned, uh, you know, the revenue stream earlier, these major league stadiums hold 40 to 50,000 plus. We saw in 2014 the Orioles played a few games in an empty Camden Yards after the uh, Baltimore riots. If we have to go a month or two with either empty stadiums or either only a few hundred people in the crowd, how do you think that would impact the guys on the field as far as trying to do their job? 
I think it's going to be a serious adjustment. Um, I don't think it's not, it's an adjustment that can't be overcome. And some guys are going to be better, better than it than others. I've never been in that situation. You know, it's one thing to play in a small park, like say in a college arena or a high school arena, and there's very few fans. It's another thing to be in a 50,000 foot, uh, seat stadium and have a hundred people. It's just a different feeling. It's almost like when I'm, when I'm out before the game hitting, taking early BP before the gates open, you know, you've got a few of the concession people, you've got some employees of the stadium kind of watching you, but, but uh, it's a very much different atmosphere, but I'm not competing right there. I'm working on things. I'm used to that atmosphere. If I were to, if I were to have to, to get it ready and ramp it up to game speed without any fans there, it's almost like you'd have to trick yourself into going, no, this really counts. This really counts. You got to get it up to that level. Um, wow. It's something surreal. It's something I never thought about. It, it would kind of be like the first time uh, you take batting practice without a cage over you, you know, to, to most people, they think, well, that's not a big deal. You hit, you know, every night, during the game, I hit without a cage and it's no big deal. But for batting practice to hit without a cage, it is, it is very different. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but it's the, the one thing right now I'm trying to think of a parallel. And that's the, that's the only thing I could come up with. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, do you think it would, I mean, to have to go multiple months like this, I mean, we've heard whispers that of July is the best case scenario opening day. I mean, I just wonder if they'd be able to make it, you know, that long, you know, having to go through it, you know, a, uh, a system like that, that's just so, so different, you know, especially for the guys on the field, because that's what's going to drive the performance. That's what's going to drive the results. Well, I think, you know, it, it's one thing to talk about, okay, playing a game, um, with no, nobody in the bleachers, uh, it, it would almost be comparable to, to going on a, on a backfield during spring training and hitting live off a pitcher that was coming off an injury. Now, could you get your adrenaline level up to that high, high competitive level? It would be weird. At how does it feel with a runner on third less than two outs? Whereas in a in a game with a crowd there, and and it's kind of the atmosphere tells you that this is real and this is important. Um, with nobody, I don't know. I I, I don't know because I've never been in that situation. I think the players would learn to adjust, and and after a week or two weeks or three weeks, you're able to just get that out of your brain and just go out and play and, and know that, yes, this counts and my at-bats do count and these games do count and the wins and losses do count. So it would be very different at first, but I, but I think they'd adjust to it and they'd be fine within a week or two. Now there's likely going to be a shortened season in your mind. How many games would they have to play in order for the last team standing to be considered a true non asterisk world champion? Well, I don't, I don't think there's a magic number to how many games, you know, this is all just basically on how I feel, whatever they come up with, you know, I'm hearing a bunch of different things kicked around. It's they play, you know, deep into November, even to the beginning of December. Um, I don't see a reason they couldn't do that. You know, it, at this stage, there'd be a lot of uh, shuffling of the schedule and make sure, you know, once you get it to October to have all the games in Texas or California or Florida or in a, 
in a, a retractable roof stadium. There, there would take a lot of uh, scheduling scheduling changes, but I think it's doable. Um, I don't know if there's a magic number for what is legitimate, what's not legitimate. I think as long as everybody agrees on it, everybody knows what the schedule is uh, going into the season. I think whatever they decide on, if it's 100 games, or 150 games, or 162 games, as long as everybody knows at the at the you know at the starting gate what the number is to get to that postseason uh, and how you choose it, uh, I think any number is fair. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Brett, to bring up your previous point when you talk about pitchers and breaking down and having to ramp up for the spring training, it seems like they can't. Uh, they've been spouting about double headers, and I think, and also cutting off these off days. I think that poses a much higher risk for organizations and also their pitchers due to the stress that could be done upon their players. So I'm wondering if you think it'd be more effective to have fewer games, like when you had the shortened season '95. Or would it be better to do it that way where you have the off days or double headers? The bottom line is this. What's it always going to come down to? Money, who's getting money and who's getting paid and who's not getting paid. Yeah. If, it, <laughs> if the owners tell the players, hey, we're going to break down your salary based on how many games you play, you bet they're going to play as many games as they as they possibly can. If they say you're getting paid uh, – the same, no matter how many games we play, whether it's 120 or 160, uh, you're probably going to see more of a 120 game schedule. So, so I'm with you. I, I think, especially, I think more than ever. You know, I watched the game, the, the current game today, and, and I can't believe some of the some of the injuries and and some of the time that people miss for some injuries. Where I I just looked and I go, wow. You know, when we played, I, I might miss a half a game or I might miss a game. These guys are out for seven days, so I know. These days, uh, how much more careful they are with the current player. And that could be from an economic standpoint, how much money the guys are making today. I, I completely understand if I'm an owner and I have that investment out there, well, I'm going to protect that my investment as best I can. Um, so I think, I think the owners going into this, they're definitely going to have your concept in mind of, and first and foremost, I want my 30 million a year guy. I want to make sure that, you know, by us, having this quick makeshift schedule, I don't want to jeopardize his health for not only this year, but, but for the length of, of, uh, of his contract, you know, the length of my investment. So I think you're going to see owners, especially very careful about, about, uh, protecting their players. So I don't think you have to worry about that. Um, 
And like I said, from a player's perspective, <laughs> they're, they're going to find out, well, how are we getting paid? And if it comes down to, well, it's based on games, they're going to be they're going to be willing to play double headers every day. <laughs> really? I, I was just wondering about that because I, I wasn't certain about how the player position, because as a former rep, what would you try to vouch for? Just be like all we can get possibly? I'll tell you, as a rep, I'm going to go to my, my guys. I'm going to go to my players on my team and I'm going to say, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out there and be as clear as I can, educate them as much as I can on exactly what's being put on the table and say, you guys make a decision. And then it's my job to, to, you know, I can sit there and debate with them, tell them my feelings, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do what the majority of my players want me to do once I've given them all the facts. Um, I I think when you're talking millions of dollars, uh, most players are going to say, let's play as many games. Yeah, I think also the minors probably is that would probably be the biggest uh, conundrum going on currently for organizations. The minor leaguers, yes, because I mean I'm just wondering about how MLPA would actually respond to that. As a minor leaguer, you don't have a union fighting for you, so really? huh. they're kind of in a they're kind of in a uh, you know they're kind of on the back burner. Always have been. You know, when I was in the minor leagues, we were, we were never a priority. <laughs> you know, we get where we can get there. But, um, you know, I, I think, like I said, I saw that little blurb today. I, I don't have the fa- I don't have all the facts behind it, but I saw Wainwright was donating money. I think you're going to see uh, th- there's some good guys out there and, and Major League Baseball will find a way. I saw a couple clubs are taking care of their minor leaguers through this virus and, and are going to pay them. Uh, I think you're going to see some other clubs and other people step up and take care of the minor league guys. We're all minor leaguers at one point, and we know how tough it is getting through on, you know, thousand, two thousand a month. Uh, you know, when you're there, you don't really think about it, but we were all there at one point. So uh, I think that'll be worked out in the end. Now, Brett, one guy who's obviously going to be under the microscope as far as how he handles it is Rob Manfred, and he had a pretty tumultuous offseason. Uh, given everything that happened with the Houston Astros and the sign stealing scandal, how do you think he handled it? Uh, I think he handled it not very well. You know, I think it, it, it didn't, um, you know, I think when it, when it went down, I think Tony Clark's the, the rep for the union and Tony's a great guy. You know, I played against Tony. Um, and you played on an all-star team with him in 2001 as well. Yeah, Tony's a great guy. And Tony's job and the, and the union's job is to take care of the player at all costs. And I think Tony went in there with with uh, with good intentions. His job is to protect the players. You know, he got immunity for his players. Uh, players talked about whatever, whatever the scandal was behind the scenes. Still, to this day, you know, I see all the arguments about what should happen to Houston, what shouldn't happen to the players, what went on, what didn't go on. I don't have any facts. You know, I hear all these rumors and all these conspiracy theories, but until I have all the facts, I'm going to be the last guy to throw stones and start saying what should and could happen to these players. I need to know what exactly happened. And the only people that know that are Rob Manford and the people that investigated this whole thing. That being said, I think Manford did a very bad job PR wise, but I think it even who did a worse job were the Astros players when they came out and did that kind of apology <laughs> that really wasn't an apology. It's like, come on, man. You know, it, it, I, I'm pretty easy on you because I'm a, I'm a former player. I know what it's like there. 
I know the intricacies of the game. I know how it is. You got to at least show a little remorse when I'm watching on TV. <laughs> when I'm watching, you thinking, you know, I want to forgive you a little bit. Just show me a little remorse, and I see absolutely none. And you reading by from a script. Uh, very disappointed how the Astros players came out and, and portrayed it. Uh, but then again, it doesn't matter. I'm an ex player. You know, they did what they did, but but. They're going to feel some of the consequences uh, once we get back playing from from the fans. I was going to say, will you feel some? Uh, do you think the current players will give them a little chin music or at least give them a little razzing? Because I hope that after this whole entire pandemic goes down, that we still remember that the Astros collectively did this, and Manfred barely did any punishment whatsoever. So I'm wondering if the players' union, where they're fitting in all this, if they're trying to help the players out or if they're pissed off at Manfred. You mean the players? Yes. Well, once like, again, you know, we facts. Yeah. The facts. What what happened? What truly happened? I can tell you this. As an ex-player, the only people that truly know what what's going on in the game are, are actually current players. Hmm. You know, I, I, I've grown up in the game. I played Major League Baseball for 14 years. But now I'm an ex-player. So I know I know a lot and I'm privy to a lot. But unless you're on the ground in that clubhouse, part of that 25-man, now 26-man roster, yeah, those are the only guys that truly know what's going on. So I, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I've been through, you know, I've stole signs. I've relayed signs. We always did it with the human element. We never used a camera. But it's yeah, I love that. Love it's it. 2020. It's, it's not 2004. We had flip phones then. the technology has changed the game has changed uh apparently the cheating has changed um for me from a moral standpoint uh i'm all for getting a sign stealing a sign any way i can with the human element you start bringing cameras into it and you know they talk there's it's a conspiracy did altuve have something under his uniform i don't know whether he did or not if you give me fact evidence that he did, well, I think the consequences should be pretty big. I think that's pretty big time crossing the line. But I, until I know that, I can't accuse him of that. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. I think we got a lot of heroes out there on, on Twitter and Instagram saying what could and should happen to these guys without having all the true facts. Exactly. Without evidence, you cannot persecute a person. Correct. And I, I know this. I know this. As a current player, if it's going on in one clubhouse, the Astros just happen to be probably the most talented team the last few years in Major League Baseball. Like the West, for instance. They're not the only team that was doing it. Didn't they just announce the Red Sox that they were going? They just finished the investigation, and then before the season will start, they're going to maybe levy some penalties against them. But I guess they just did it better the year after the Astros. <laughs> Well, the players got immunity, so there's nothing you can do about it. Once the players get immunity and they talk about, you know, whatever facts they have, uh, they're immune. Their their penalty is going to be in the public eye, having to deal with that, having to deal with the backlash on a daily basis. And I found through sports, the only thing that gets people back on your side is winning. If I'm the Astros right now, I get together collectively. First of all, I have a press conference and I come out and I don't have any cue cards and I – and I bleed out and I say, I'm sorry. I've made my mistakes. Boom, 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 boom. I've got to get back to, to the 2020 season with my teammates. We're going to regroup. We're going to go out and we're going to kick ass. That's what I need to do as a player. Mm-hmm. Get that across to the public. 
I'm still going to get the backlash. But the only thing that changes that is going out and winning. Everybody's going to be against you. The press is going to be against you. No matter what the Astros do, they're still a hell of a talented team right now. Great talent. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you, anything short of winning 100 games, the press is going to go, see, they cheated, which is a bunch of BS. <laughs> the best pitcher in the world now pitches for the for the Yankees. That's going to be a little different of how many games you win this year. You got Verlander, who's can't. You know, he's, he's been so great for so long, uh, but you can't expect him to keep up that Cy Young type of seasons year after year when you get to his age of 37 or 38. So a lot of variables. Um, you know, I, I, I think you should be real quick to just if they win, you know, let's say the season was 162 games and they only win 92 games. It's not because of the cheating. It's because maybe it has something to do with, with Cole not being there anymore. So there's a lot of variables. The only thing I can say is, as a player is the only thing that changes this is going out and winning and saying, okay, here. You know, with the, with the cheating, it's, oh, I don't know. I, I've gone round and round about this. Like I said, I, I'm from a different generation, a different era, where we wouldn't even think of having cameras and stealing signs. Uh, I've just never been in that world. Uh, it's always been human element. If we can catch a sign, if the catcher's got his leg open too far and I can pick a sign off from first base when I'm leading out first, I'll get that sign. Jeez, second, you're, there, man. you're just reading people's body languages back then. Like, if I'm at second base and I can and I can come up with that formula that I crack from the catcher to the pitcher and I'm relaying it to my hitter, okay, I know what it's like going in. If I get caught doing it, I know what's going to happen. There's a consequence for that. I'm going to wear one in the ribs, and that's a part of it. <laughs> I see you t- I see you picking signs from my catcher and relaying them. You're going to wear one next to bat, and you know that going in. It's an eye for an eye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, Brett, you mentioned the importance of winning earlier. And you won quite a bit in your career. Let's think about the 99 Braves, the 01 Mariners. I have to tell you. You did good. (laughs) I'm a big Yankee fan. Not going to lie. When I watched you play as a kid, always loved how you got the most of your abilities. But got to admit, come the postseason, regardless of how much the rest of your team was struggling against our pitching, you used to drive me crazy because you would always freaking kill our pitching. In the 99 World Series, you hit over 500. In the 01 ALCS, you crushed us. You you really gave us a run for our money. Uh, You were like the only guy in the lineup with a pulse. Um, How come you used to turn it on against the Yankees the way you did? 
Well, I, you know, I don't, well, if you'd have seen me this, you talk about that, uh, you talk about that Oh one series against the Yankees, but, but you check the, check the Cleveland series right before the Yankee series. I didn't show up. Very well. Um, I'll tell you what, I always liked, I always loved coming to Yankee stadium. Uh, it was a special place, old Yankee stadium. You know, it was like going to Wrigley during a day game or Fenway park, uh, during a day game, there was something about it that was different. You could close your eyes and you just knew you were somewhere special. Um, and man, I used to get up for those games and I loved it. And I wanted to beat the Yankees so bad because you, you whooped us in 1999. You, you swept us in the world series when I was with the Braves and we ended up getting beat by you in 2001. Uh, and I think that year we had beat you probably seven out of eight in the regular season. And uh, we came into that series. That was after nine 11. Um, and we got beat. I don't think either team played well in that 2001 series. Just if it's, if it's actually, it's probably grammatically incorrect, but I think they played less worse than we did and, uh, ended up beating us in that 2001 postseason. But, uh, I don't know. There was just something special about Yankee stadium, special about coming to New York. I loved coming to New York. I, I loved the fan base back there. I love how, you know, I, I, I miss those days of showing up at the hotel and, and walking down the street before I get on the bus to go to the stadium and just have fans in New York yelling at you from across the street, telling you how they're going to kick your ass tonight. Uh, <laughs> I just miss that, man. I, I'd get to the Bronx and I'd, I'd get up for those games. I, I just loved it. But um, those are special times. But I got to say, you failed to mention uh, Shea Stadium as a premier stadium. Trust me, I know. We had the rats down there in the basements. Yeah. <laughs> Doug's a Met fan, by the way, Brett. Tell you what, there's, you notice I only mentioned three iconic stadiums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it takes before I call it iconic, it, you've had to, you got to do something to be iconic. And those, those three stadiums definitely uh, earned that. Shea is definitely at the bottom of that list. <laughs> Now, Brett, before you went on to face the Yankees in the 99 World Series, you had to get through New York's other team, the Mets. Uh, take us through Shea Stadium, 99 NLCS, New York versus Atlanta, or as some might remember it, New York versus John Rocker. Oh, we remember that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember. Okay. I remember that Braves team, 99. We were a great team. Um, and I remember in that postseason, I remember Johnny had, had a great year. And I'll tell you what, he had the Mets number. And as it, it, it's almost like it took on a life of its own, you know, as, as they goaded him a little bit, the, the New York media, you know, kind of goaded him into saying some things and he said some things. And the, and the next thing you know, he's a rock star and he's shooting from the hip. And I remember having a talk with him and saying, Johnny, listen, you think we got enough pressure on us already? without having the sideshow, just keep going out there and keep putting up saves because he really did. He had an unbelievable year and they had no chance. Johnny would come into the game and boom, one, two, three, you know, these, when you play in a team, you play with a lot of different personalities and, and uh, you know, it's not my job to tell my, you know, he's a grown man. <laughs> he can behave how he wants. Uh but I'll say it, I'll say this, and, and I always stayed on the side of caution was there's going to be a, come a time and a place where you're going to have a reckoning. So as long as you keep, you know, you want to, you want to do certain things, 
you better keep getting them out, or eventually that tide's going to turn. Uh, and this game can be pretty humbling. <laughs> that was great. As a Mets fan, that was wonderful. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he had your number that year, though. Oh, dude, he rocked. Like, the rocker rocked the Mets, no matter what he did. I feel like there was an extra edge to him whenever he came to Chase Stadium. He's like, yep, I'm going to kill all of you with this fastball. You're done. Yep. <laughs> pretty good. Now, Brett, talking about your time in New York, let's say Yankees host Seattle, 1 o'clock Saturday day game. Game's over at 4, 4.30. Uh, were you catching any Broadway shows at 8 o'clock later that night? Never went to a Broadway show once when I was there. Anytime that, uh, you know, it's very rare. I mean, because you only usually, you know, beginning of my career, that was right before interleague play started. Then interleague play started, and, and maybe you'd play in New York, you know, depending on which league re- you were in. Uh, maybe you'd play, you know, maybe if you were in the National League, maybe you'd play the Yankees that year, maybe you wouldn't. Um, but it's very rare that that we had an evening off in New York. But it, it usually seems if I had an evening, for years I was saying I was going to go watch the taping of Saturday Night Live, never did it. Never went to a Broadway play there during the baseball season. And it seemed like when I had time off and, and, and an evening off in New York, it usually was going out and getting getting a nice steak or a nice dinner somewhere. So no Broadway plays, uh, no Saturday Night Live. I still haven't been to Saturday Night Live. Well, uh, is there any wild stories possibly from your visits in uh, New York? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty that uh, that I won't tell you. we had some fun in new york there's your story (laughs) who was your rowdiest teammate can you tell us that who was my what wildest oh i don't know i'd have to stick to my single teammates right uh johnny rocker was wild you know, he he was a good teammate. I like Johnny. Uh, he, he was great for us. He was a little out there. A lot of guys that were out there, a lot of great team. You know, the more guys I play with, I play with a lot of guys. And uh, to this day, if I get asked a question, it's like, you know, most of the – I can count on one hand the guys that really kind of I didn't care for at all. The rest of them I get along with. And, and you know, we'd go out for three hours a night and and we go to war together. and and. Uh, after that, you have the you have the choice to, you know, you, when you leave the ballpark, you choose your own friends. Um, but for the most part, the guys I played with were, were great guys. Um, for the most part, there's a handful. They'll go unmentioned, but but there weren't too many of them that I really didn't didn't care for at all. Now, Brett, you. Um we mentioned earlier that your brother Aaron is currently the manager for the Yankees. Uh, what and you? We talked about your affinity for the old Yankee Stadium. What do you think of the new stadium? Uh, new stadium, it's okay. It's okay. I agree. You know, um, it's okay. Ne- I never got to play in the new stadium. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when Aaron first got the job, and I was in town uh, visiting. And I walked into the old stadium or the new stadium for the first time. And I saw a couple guys that, you know, still work behind the scenes and, and uh, down by the clubhouses. And, you know, it was good to see him. I hadn't seen him in, in probably 10 years. And I asked every one of them, what do you think of the new stadium? You're like, and they go, oh, no, we like that old stadium much better. So that's kind of that's kind of the theme back there. All the all the New York guys, they like that old stadium. They they 
they know that magic that I was talking about that made it iconic. Uh, they were there for that, and they know. And anybody that was a, a part of those teams and, and got to watch those Yankee teams of the 90s and the 2000s and, and, and did it at old Yankee Stadium, um, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, the new stadium is beautiful. It's nice. It's state-of-the-art. Um, I think it would kind of be if you, if you knocked down Fenway Park and built a brand new state-of-the-art stadium. Uh, I think the old school guys that grew up with, grew up in Boston, watching all the great Boston teams, uh, I think they'd probably be, you know, a little bit biased towards the old park. So it's all up to, you know, this new generation, these young kids growing up, the the kids that are my kids' age now, um, they probably don't know the difference. You know, there's probably, my grandpa's generation want to talk about the polo grounds and, and, uh, it's all relative. Now, Brett, you may or may not be aware, but the man closing games right now for your brother is the face of the baseball and Broadway fan base here at NYC. Do you have any idea of who that might be? I don't. Araldus Chapman is a phenomenon both in the Yankee fan base, but very much in the Broadway fan base as well. Really? Well, that's interesting. I don't know Chapman. You never met him? I've never met him, no. No, they like that he is theatrical and eccentric. That's the two things that they often point to, and um, th- he's very much become, uh, like I said, kind of like an unofficial mascot for the baseball and Broadway crossover community. Especially, they love that he throws 105 miles an hour. That's one thing that they often point That's out. Right. I'm on the radar. Yeah, they're, they're pushing the limit there. I guarantee you, ain't no 105. <laughs> That's not possible. I'll tell you, nowadays it's whatever. It's whatever it needs to be. Uh, it's. I'll tell you, it, it's pretty hard. I watch it. I can tell what gets to that point of, yeah, he throws pretty hard, or no, that's really hard. He, he's at that, no, that's really hard level. But, Brett, I was going to wonder, um, which current player, are you, are you close to any current players, or is there any that have asked your advice? Uh, or Like, is there any that you could see yourself in? Well, a few years ago, uh, I worked for the Oakland A's in the minor league system, and I was just a special assistant to, you know, my my title was special assistant to to Billy Bean. So basically, I'd go out and work with minor league guys. I really, I, I actually really enjoyed doing that. Um, I'd probably work eight or nine days a month. I'd go to A ball for three or four games, then later in the month, I'd go to the Double A uh, affiliate of ours. That was at the time was in Midland, and I'd work with the prospects. And uh, I actually really enjoyed that doing that um as far as current players uh no i don't have any friend i, I don't have any friends that are current players uh, the the last of uh you know when cc retired he was about the last guy that was that was a friend of mine that was still playing you know all these other guys are young. i guess zimmerman for uh, the nationals yeah uh wait, oh ryan zimmerman Ryan Zimmerman, yeah, he's about the last of the guys that I played with that are still playing. So uh, it's it's kind of dating me now. I'm feeling a little old. <laughs> you still got it. Buddy. You can play for the Mets right now, and you still crush it. I'll tell you, I need uh, I could play about six innings, and I need two or three days off. <laughs> <laughs> what if they had you as a DH? Maybe you could maybe you can make it seven innings if you're pitching three at bats. Yeah, yeah, but I'd be exposed. Give me a soft toss and lefty, I got a chance. <laughs> okay, okay, we got it. 
Brett, you are the man. And listen, you accomplished a ton in your major league career. We do one segment to wrap every show, a little thing that we call Fastball Derby. I want you to picture this. You're in the batter's box. It's the ninth inning, two outs. Your team's down a run. Um, and all the pressure in the world's on you. You got to get that winning run home. And, where's, uh, where's the winning run? Uh, the winning run, well, let's say that you're down You're down a run. So the winning run's at second. So maybe uh, you might need a blooper to right field, you know, to get – You need a base hit. Sack fly ain't going to do it. He's on second. All right. He's Gonzalez, basically, against the Yankees, right? <laughs> I'll, take I'll take that every time in that situation. <laughs> Let's just say Chapman's on the mound throwing 105. We're going to ask you a question. You got to think fast. You say the first thing that comes to your head. How does that sound? Got it. All right. I'll start, Dougie. Favorite place to eat in New York City? Spark Steakhouse. Nice. All right. I've got to ask you two-part question. Better prankster. You or Aaron, and who's better at basketball? Me and Aaron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your answer. I'm a better prankster. Aaron's better at basketball. Huh. I knew you were funny. <laughs> Aaron's funny. Aaron's more of an entertainer. Aaron can do, you know, he, he can do imitations. He's really? very good. What's yeah, his best imitation, you think? Huh? What's his best imitation, do you think? You can, uh, you can say to him, hey, give me, give me, get into your Pete Rose stance. He can mimic Pete to a T. No. Aaron, really? Really good at that, yes. Really good. He'll give you his best Harry Callis from the old <laughs> Aaron's really good at that. He's really good. And he's a better hoopster than me. Really? I thought you'd be better, man. No, that's okay. Don't worry. We'll join you. We'll, we'll see who wins. All right. <laughs> Your three Desert Island albums. Uh, it's got to be something by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, I'm a big Mac fan. Are we talking rumors? Are we talking Mirage, Tango in the Night? Give me a specific Give me the greatest hits. Okay. You know, it's 2020. You can put together the greatest hits for me. I, I love them all. I love Fleetwood Mac. Give me some ACDC. And I'm going to go with, you know, I like Elton John. I saw him live. At, I didn't like the show that much, but I love his music. Those are my three. The guy can play. He can. He's doing a show, I think, today or tomorrow for for uh, a charity event for the for the coronavirus. Yeah, he invited the Backstreet Boys. Interesting choice. I was hoping he would have invited Billy Joel. You know, being a New Yorker, but never saw Billy. Love to see him. Next time you see your brother, hopefully things will be back to normal here in New York. He plays at the Garden usually once a month, so we'll see if we can make that. Seen it five times. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, he's a big shot now. Yeah, that touche. Nice one. I gotta call yeah, I gotta I gotta call Aaron. All right, so I've gotta ask, Brett, who is the toughest pitcher you have ever faced? Oh man, there's a lot of them. Let's just start make it real easy. Uh go to Atlanta Atlanta in the mid nineties, Maddox Smoltz Glavin. Boom. Oh (laughs) that's a trio. That's all you get them all in one series. They're the toughest on me. Uh, wow, that was a, that's a tough road trip. And that's back before we had that's back before computers. So we'd be checking that USA Today, and I'd be checking that two weeks out to see who we get. I can't believe you faced three Hall of Famers in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I got to play with them in '99. 
forgot the fourth or fifth starter either when he went to Atlanta. It was always Maddox, Smoltz, Lavin, Maddox, Smoltz, Lavin. <laughs> Terrifying. Ninety-nine. You know, I went to the. I got traded to the Braves, and, the, and Maddox looked at me one day and he said, "Aren't you glad you're on my team now?" And he handed handed me a piece of paper with my stats against him. I said, "Actually, I am." <laughs> Dude, that guy had some cojones. God, I had no idea. Hey, you win three hundred fifty games. I guess you could do that, right? <laughs> he was pretty awesome. <laughs> decent. Yeah, some good cities. Brett, your all-time favorite film. Oh man, that is a tough one. Ah, uh, just for I, I'm supposed to do this really fast. Braveheart. Okay. <laughs> so Brett, this is Dougie here. I want to ask you what's your most memorable game, but I want to no- let you know today is an opening day where there's no opening day, and apparently in 1996 you played against the White Sox. I was wondering if you recall that game. I don't. It was against Ron Karkovich. And he had 15 strikeouts, which is the most ever in a game. But you guys won in 12 innings. So that's what you do, Brett. That's what you do. You win, baby. Yeah, I wasn't a big opening day guy. I don't. I, I think I might have got one hit on opening day my entire career. Seriously? Huh. Yeah, I think. Wow. Opening you're opening day two guy. <laughs> so what was your most memorable game, though? Don't have one. Or a series. Uh, Would you want to go like ALCS from like 01 or 99? I have a lot of moments. Nothing really stands out that, you know, one time stands out. But but my my first game in the big leagues, um, my first All-Star game, my first World Series, those all stand out. Uh, in 2001 was a pretty special season for for. Mariners and and we hosted the All Star Game uh, that year and just some of the festivities, the home run derby, the the introductions before the game, uh, not necessarily the game itself, but uh, just the atmospheres I've been in. You know, I have a lot, but that that was a sp- pretty special time for me. But you know, just a, a lot of different ones that stand out. Like I said, first game, first All Star Game, first postseason game, first World Series, uh, a lot, but nothing that really is you know, stands alone, separate by itself. Well, I say Seattle loves you. It seems like that you're still one of the kings of the city. So it's incredible. So congrats to you, my friend. Seattle was, a, you know, that was a great time in my life. And, and that city was always really good to me. It's always be a special place for me. Favorite ballpark to play in? Uh, Anaheim Stadium. It's my favorite. Yankee Stadium's a close second, but I got to go with Anaheim. Why? Don't know. Got a lot. Of- <laughs> yeah. We're gonna look this up after the interview. Brett probably at like three seventy there or something. And like, you know what? Look at you know I had all these home runs there. It's like that was just a stud. It's great. You crush it in Anaheim Stadium too. That's he. I bet. I bet if we ask Arod that, he would say the same place. Well, I'll tell you. If you if you talk to current or ex players, usually our favorite stadiums are based on our performance, <laughs> not, <laughs> on how, not on how nice the stadium is. It's how many hits did we get there? Like yeah, he named his child Shea after Shea Stadium. Shea was a tough place for me. I didn't hit well there. Really? Huh? I had a rough time at Shea. 
How did Chipper do it? Was he just a natural, like, was he just a natural player that could stroke it? Ch- Chipper Jones? Yeah. Oh, Chipper. One of the best, one of the best uh, players I, I played with. One of the best. Referring to you, you must have been happy. <laughs> one of the best. Man, he was really good. Well, so I also have to ask, I'm sorry to pivot away from the happy parts, but Brett, what is the most embarrassing on the field moment do you think you've had? Because there's some players that have, you know, soiled their pants. Some players have passed out. Some players have had balls bounce off their heads and go for home runs. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But I was just going to ask, what do you think? I don't really remember having an embarrassing where 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 I was embarrassed. Um, striking out three times, I struck out four times in a game one time, and it was in Houston. And it was probably less embarrassing than I actually probably. I was one of the few people that knew I struck out four times, but I don't remember an actual on field high jinks embarrassing moment. Good. No, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you said the four strikes. That's a professional. Yeah. All right, Brett, here's the last one. We use it to wrap every show. What's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Piece of advice. Um, appreciate the big league uniform and all that, that all that it represents. And just really uh, ah, I forget. I forget how it was put, but appreciate the uniform, you know. And, and it's an honor. It's a privilege. And it's a, it's an honor to be able to wear it, you know. I think because I think as big league players, it's what we do. We don't mean to, but I think we take it for granted. And uh, next thing you know, you look up and your career's over. And stop and smell the roses. Enjoy, respect it, but in, but enjoy it. Uh, Pretty awesome. Be like life now, my friend. Thank you. I mean, yeah. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, I got to say, thank you so much, Brett. Brett, you've been awesome. The camp, thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was, it was a pleasure. Anytime. This is Al Malafronte and Dougie Horowitz signing off from the Broadway Podcast Network. Continue to stay safe. We will get through this, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.